Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays, 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. So in the midst of an ongoing opioid crisis, all ideas need to be on the table. And, and harm reduction is a big part of the response to this. To reduce the number of overdose deaths, to keep people alive as a step towards uh, dealing with their addiction. But it's meant to be a step along the way. It's not a panacea. It's not a solution in of itself. But it's a big response to the problem, big part of the response. Uh, and I'm certainly supportive of harm reduction of supervised consumption sites. Uh, but I think we also acknowledge, need to acknowledge, that it's, it's not as clean a response, maybe, as has been suggested. You know, in theory, it is. Right, you're getting the drug use off the streets. You're getting the user off the street. They're going to the facility they're using there. They're able to dispose of their needles there. And if there's any potential overdose, well, there's medical staff there to deal with it. Which sounds well and good, but in practice, is that the reality? That are you also in in the process of setting up this facility is, is kind of concentrating the problem in that general vicinity. And so that's a concern that's been raised. It's a concern that's been raised here in Calgary, in particular uh, in the area in the Beltline, around the Sheldon Schumier Health Center, where there's uh, a safe consumption, a supervised consumption facility set up. Uh, and there are four, well, I guess three that have opened in Edmonton. One is specific. So there's four. One of them is specific uh, to the Royal Alex Hospital in Edmonton, but there are three sites, all more or less concentrated in the downtown core uh, that have been in operation for some time now. And there was quite a debate sparked about all of this last night after some tweets from National Post columnist Tristan Hopper, the first of which had a picture of a used needle uh, lying on his front lawn. And he wrote, when my wife and I moved to Edmonton from Vancouver three years ago, the thing we loved most about the city was that it wasn't strewn with needles. That's over. This was in my yard today. Two weeks ago, there were two more. Addicts are treating my community like a toilet. So we went on to tweet about how the city of Edmonton has gone about this, what it has meant for the neighborhoods that are located close to these facilities, and maybe what the response needs to be. As I say, it sparked quite the debate. A lot of people weighing in to say they've experienced similar things or to sympathize with the plight of people who are having to deal with this. I mean, Tristan has young children. Others, though, were were quite offended at Tristan Hopper's tweets, suggesting that maybe he lacks compassion and empathy uh, for those who are dealing with addictions. So quite a reaction to all of this. Joining us to talk more about it is the uh, aforementioned Tristan Hopper, columnist and reporter with the National Post, nationalpost.com. Tristan, thanks for joining us here. Oh, thanks for having me. All right. So th- this was you, and, and I don't know venting is the right word, but sharing on social media some of your own experience in your neighborhood in Edmonton. I- explain what you were trying to do. Yeah, don't tweet angry. I would, I would still recommend that. But it basically, uh, it was an observation I felt and my wife has felt just over the past year uh, that we've seen sort of, you know, it's, it's not a great neighborhood. I mean, people have been saying, you know, you, you didn't move to a nice neighborhood. That's why your house was cheap. I mean, there's always been disorder here. I would agree with that. Uh, potentially, I wasn't seeing it or looking for it as, as closely as I should have when I first moved here. But uh, I've definitely seen it, uh, you know, go downhill in the last six months. Now, I don't have stats to back that up, but I've just seen higher rates of disorder, uh, you know, much much more break-ins, um, you know, chase someone out of, my, out of my neighbor's yard. So it's this general feeling uh, that things are getting worse. And then 
when I moved here uh, from Vancouver, I didn't really see needles anywhere. That was one of the first things we noticed because that was in sharp contrast to Vancouver, where basically every public park has them. And we've seen a market uptick uh, just in the last few months. Uh, so two were found uh, in our front yard about two weeks ago, and then one uh, just the other day. So, yeah, it contributed to the sense that um, disorder is getting worse. And this is coupled with uh, the city of Edmonton, who has had a drug addiction strategy, which I think has been uh, very narrow um, and really hasn't planned for this and is not ready to acknowledge that what they're doing uh, is not working and that things are getting worse. Okay. So, yeah, and I guess there's a question of whether within your neighborhood there is a, a growing drug use problem or if perhaps by, by setting up nearby supervised consumption sites, it's, it's bringing that to your neighborhood. And I guess maybe that's where there's some debate. Right. Uh, now, you know, I'm not going to stand here and, and make the argument that safe consumption sites aren't effective and aren't saving lives. Uh, you know, I think... Uh, critics uh, would like to frame me as someone um, who who thinks this should be abolished altogether and we should just leave addicts to die. I'm not saying that, and I'm not saying we should close uh, the state consumption However, I do live uh, just north of an area of the core of downtown where there was four state consumption sites um, were opened in a very concentrated area just in the past year. Now, this was a response uh, to the wider opioid crisis. Now, it's, it's weird because, first of all, the city of Edmonton uh, was ignoring the fact that the majority of this crisis is actually happening in the suburbs. If you just think of anybody you know um, who has died of an overdose in the past few years, probably someone who lived in a home who had a job and picked up the wrong street drug and died in that drug. So you're basically saying, well, 85% of you in the suburbs, uh, you know, you're on your own, but we have this plan uh, to set up uh, safe consumption sites to deal with injection drug users uh, in the core. Now, they will say, proponents will say, well, this has no effect um, on uh, safety. Actually, if you go to Alberta Health Services, the line says this, uh, this saves lives and it creates better neighborhoods. So it's a definitive statement that by putting one of these in the neighborhood, it not only doesn't have any effects, it actually makes it safer. Now, this is based on some data from Insight that's several years old and I think has uh, a lot of flaws in it. But basically, there's no room um, for even the possibility um, that this could create a hub uh, for drug users, that there could be peripheral effects. Um, that completely ignores the fact uh, that by having this concentration of drug users in one area, if you are needing to obtain those drugs through the use of crime, obviously by concentrating them, uh, be concentrating that crime uh, in the same area. So this was before these were set up. Uh, you know, I wasn't saying anything at the time, but you were hearing from Edmonton Chinatown saying we already deal with uh, crime disorder, uh, needles, what have you. Um, we have reason to believe that if you concentrate them here with no other strategy to deal with the, the addiction crisis, um, that this is just going to make the neighborhood worse and make our lives more difficult. Uh, now, you know, maybe my experience isn't definitive um, that this is happening, but you know, some preliminary number crunching I've done has shown that uh, needle calls uh, in the immediate area have gone up uh, somewhat in tandem with the opening of these sites. Now, of course, Someone at a safe consumption site will say, well, a safe consumption site, the needle stays there. It doesn't leave the facility. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I've heard from others, myself. There's people in Ottawa. There's people in Toronto's Leslieville. Oh, a safe injection site opens. The neighborhood suddenly has uh, more disorder, more needles. So are those people lying? Um, because uh, this is something people are noticing, and they're against proponents and often city authorities who say uh, this is not happening. 
Well, and similar concerns have been expressed in Calgary uh, as well in the Beltline area around the Sheldon Schumer uh, Health Center near downtown that, you know, having a safe consumption site there that perhaps that has created some some additions or uh, some additional issues in the neighborhood. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's enough anecdotal evidence I think we can point to in these various cities to suggest that it's, you know, it's not a perfect transition. As you say, it's a needed service, but then maybe what is also needed is, you know, a broader strategy to, to address, you know, these, these spinoff problems. Yeah, and, and it's not... I mean, here's something that never happened in Edmonton. They never said, well, okay, we've got to, we obviously got to deal with this crisis. We've got to stop people from dying. So what we're going to do is we're going to set up a safe consumption site as part of a larger trend. So, you know, addicts, uh, neighborhoods filled with addicts are a bad thing. Needles in your yard are a bad thing. So we have other plans in addition to this. Also, if you have concerns, you're not an insane NIMBY. And we're going to listen to you and make sure that this is a facility you can live alongside. Thus, you know, it's a neighborhood facility because if you just ram it down, and people have concerns, and you just say, well, the science said there are no concerns. So I guess these are fairy needles, or these are needles that would have happened anyway, or whatever. Um, I think that is a great way to get people not to open more harm reduction and thus have long-term negative effects uh, for everyone. Well, yeah, and that's a good point. I mean, you know, the, the reaction to all of this was, was quite, quite interesting to see, because I think there were a lot of people saying, yeah, I mean, look, these are legitimate concerns, or even a lot of people weighing in saying, you know, I've experienced this myself. On the other hand, you know, a lot of people have suggested that you are just completely and totally lacking in, in any compassion, that, that you don't care about uh, what happens to addicts, and you're just, you know, a monster, really, <laughs> it seems like yeah, what a lot of it boils down to. Uh, a culture war. And now, again, uh, long before I brought this up, Evans in Chinatown was bringing this up and it was very easy to dismiss them they're just a bunch of monsters uh who want people dead they don't understand the science and i think one of the most illuminating things is when i've looked into this um actually look at the science i mean so when a proponent is telling you that there are no neighborhood effects this increases detox i mean these are pretty standard written in stone claims for when safe injection is opened ask them where they got their research and this is Basically, a dozen or so studies that come from Insight, this is the first, uh, North America's first safe injection site in Vancouver. Now, again, I'm not disputing uh, the science behind it. I do believe that safe injection saves lives and that by opening it in the community, it has likely stopped people from dying in my community, and I do not want dead people, and this is a good thing. However, you also have to understand the limits of what it can do, because when you actually look at the science, you will see that, Yes, we know that it is saving people's lives. I mean, that just makes sense. Someone shooting up with puddle water in a back alley versus shooting up in a supervised facility, obviously you're going to save some lives there. But things get a little flimsier when you get into the other claims. So when people are telling me, uh, actually, it doesn't cause deleterious neighborhood effects, so we don't have to listen to you, that's based on one study out of Insight. Uh, This is from just when the facility opened. It's based on 18 weeks of data. They looked at six weeks before the facility opened and 12 weeks after. That is an incredibly short and narrow study and didn't look at long-term effects. And the fact that the downtown east side has become more filled with addicts, more filled with homeless, and more crime-ridden, I'm not saying that's connected to Insight, but you can't just use a 12-week span of data from a very unique facility in a very unique section of Canada and claim that that is definitive evidence that the science is saying there are no effects from safe consumption and your complaints are insane and nimbious. Yeah, it, well, true. And I mean, you know, the experience in Vancouver where you you had already what, what was a concentrated problem, so it was, you know, a question of let's, let's put this in the neighborhood where the problem exists, as you had alluded to earlier, it's trickier when it comes to this opioid crisis in, in big sprawling cities like Edmonton and Calgary, where it's not necessarily concentrated in any one area. So 
where do we put these and how do we make those determinations? I mean, look, if, if I live in a neighborhood and I'm walking out the door and there's people lying on the ground overdosing from, from drugs, sure, I'd be begging for one of these sites. But that wasn't the case in your neighborhood. It's really not the case, broadly speaking, in any specific Edmonton or Calgary neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, the, the choice of basically being told uh, by proponents is they're saying, OK, well, you don't like needles in your yard? Uh, well, the alternative is corpses. So this is the worst public planning proposal I have ever heard, and it is one uh, that no one will accept. So if you are going to put Canadians in a situation where if you have any questions about safe consumption, you are pro-corpses and pro-death, uh, meanwhile, we're going to put it in. And if there are any public order concerns, you have, you're have you basically on your own. I mean, Edmonton is putting up billboards saying, um, you know, here's how to pick up sharps. Um, you're supposed to call 311, but they don't pick it up if it's on private property. This is only if it's on a playground. Uh, and then there's a pamphlets going around saying, well, if you find needles on your property, this is how to pick them up. So, you know, our new job now is to scour our yards to see if there's any needles in them. So I think it's very, very reasonable that people in my situation would find that kind of squeamish. Now, mm-hmm. what the last thing you want to do is put them in a situation where it's either, you know, they just oppose the safe consumption site at all costs because this is the only outcome from it. Or maybe you find a more nuanced way of saying we have a safe consumption site, but we acknowledge that sometimes there are peripheral effects and we will help you deal with them rather than ignore them. Say you're an insane nimbyist for bringing them up and you have to clean up those needles. Well, if nothing else, I think it sparked an important conversation about all of this. Uh, Tristan, really do appreciate you making some time for us here today. Thanks for this. Thank you. That is Tristan Hopper from the National Post, nationalpost.com. Some legitimate concerns. Look, anybody who's got used needles discarded on their property has a legitimate complaint to make. And so some of the response to Tristan raising this very valid concern was way over the top. In fact, if, if I could be uh, crude for a moment, I think a lot of people were just being complete and total assholes about it. It was just unbelievable. Here's someone who's got kids who's worried about the safety of his neighborhood and worried about having to go out and clean up used needles off his lawn. That seems like a totally legitimate concern to have. That was interesting. Uh, Edmonton New Democrat MLA, David Shepard, represents Edmonton Center. At least acknowledged that there's a legitimate concern here. He says, first of all, without question, it's legitimate for residents of our core community to express concerns about discarded needles in public spaces. It's perfectly reasonable to want them to be safe and clean spaces for all who live and move through them. He says, however, these challenges aren't new. They've been present for some time. There have undoubtedly been ebbs and flows and shifts and effects as different substances waxed and waned in popularity, but the core issues have been consistent. Okay, fine, fair enough, right? And, and obviously we're in the midst uh, of a situation that, that is concerning. And this is one of the byproducts of that. He says, we need to continue how we address any gaps or unintended impacts to improve safety, security, and dignity for all members of our communities. All right, fair enough. 403-974-8255. Now, similar concerns have been raised in Calgary, and and specifically in the Beltline area, in the area right around uh, the immediate vicinity there of the Sheldon Schumer Center. I want to get to, to that side of it. And if you've got your own experience with this, would certainly love to hear from you. 403-974-8255, 974-TALK. We are back with more right after this. All right, look, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of points Tristan Hopper made. I think harm reduction undoubtedly saves lives. That, that is not disputable. 
Right? The evidence is clear. Harm reduction saves lives. But it's, it's not necessarily a fact that, that uh, you, know, you can adopt this strategy problem-free. That, that's unrealistic. So, again, if, if there are issues, then it doesn't have to invalidate the approach of harm reduction, but we need to find ways of, of dealing with that. Let's go to the phones. Uh, Marina, welcome to the program. Oh, hi, Rob. Hi. I was just so floored uh, hearing uh, Tristan speak about that uh, because we, uh, our condo board, because uh, I live right across the street from the uh, Sheldon Schumer Center, okay. and I also am a condo board member. At the, I'm not going to name the place. It's across the street. It's close. We set up a meeting with Alberta Health uh, over at the Shelmer, uh, Sheldon Schumer Center last week. They were finally kind enough to speak to us. And there were high-level uh, Alberta Health uh, persons there and city people there. And we were explaining exactly what Tristan had just been, or trying to explain to them exactly what Tristan had just been covering. We're, nobody here is opposed to safe consumption. What we are opposed to or what we were uh, concerned about is, number one, they do hand out needles. It's part of their program to keep these people safe from uh, catching HIV and hepatitis C and all those other kind of diseases, right? So that is indeed part of their program. And we have been suffering the same as Tristan, needles everywhere. And when we try to explain to them, giving them out to dysfunctional, sick people who really don't know what they're doing, it's like giving them a loaded gun. We can't take our dogs for a walk. We can't take our kids for a walk because it's too dangerous. So they've created a safe consumption site for these people, but they've made our neighborhood dangerous for us. So there has to be some kind of balance somewhere. I couldn't believe my ears because they basically told us that they were there to stay and this was their program and they weren't going to change it. Interesting. So basically uh, our, our, our thing was to suck it up and deal with it. Now, again, I'm not here to criticize their program in general, but I am mortified to think that they have these people needles to take out. Their caps are all over the place. Uh, their uh, needles are all over the place. You have to be super. You have to wear your boots to go walk out into the yard. You have to wear your gloves if you're going to pick anything up. And this is in a very high end area. This. Beltline is not a low-class area. So I just wanted to share that, that we are, Tristan is not imagining that there's, you know, increased crime. I had my car window broken because I was foolish enough to leave a duffel bag with a winter coat and mitts in it. Cost me 270 bucks to get it fixed. Right, mm-hmm. they didn't take anything because they didn't. I didn't have money or drugs in the bank, right? But we've had nothing but car break-in, or car break-ins, uh, lockbox break-ins, stealing fobs, 
getting into the building, wrecking things, throwing things. I, it's a, it's a nightmare. It's in, yes, we live downtown, and that is part of living downtown. But the increase. Yeah, is, you're saying it's gotten worse. Yeah, it's gotten so bad. It's frightening. It's frightening to go outside because these people scream. They're having fits, like they're twitching, all, you know, the, how the drugs affect them. They're in our stairwells, you know, scratching their faces off because of, of the creepy crawlies they get from the drugs they, they inject. And mom and, and kids are walking by that trying to get to their place in, in, the, uh, in the apartment building, right? It's, it's, it's frightening. And I just wanted to tell Tristan that... It's not his imagination. Yeah. This is what is happening. Well, Marina, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. I really appreciate the phone call. Uh, when we come back, just off of what she said, I want to read to you the, the response we got from Alberta Health Services to specifically address the situation around the Sheldon Schumer Health Center. Um, and, and there's a couple of different issues here, right, that, that obviously overlap, but, but uh, distinction needs to be made. Because going all the way back to 1990, there has been a needle exchange and distribution program at SafeWorks at the Sheldon Schumer Health Center. Or at least uh, SafeWorks, obviously the Sheldon Schumer Center hasn't been there since 1990, but SafeWorks has been providing needle exchange and distribution in Calgary since 1990, has been located at the Schumer uh, Center since it opened in 2008. In 2017, 2018, uh, the center increased access to needle disposal by adding two large mailbox-style bins outside of urgent care and supervised consumption services and the bathrooms within the building are also equipped with needle disposal bins. Site staff have offered support to building owners in the immediate vicinity of the Sheldon Schumer Health Center that have requested assistance with needle debris collection, advice, and distributing sharps containers. There are also a number of needle drop boxes throughout the Beltline that are managed by the City of Calgary, the Calgary Fire Department, and peer outreach groups within the community, which also provide needle exchange and disposal services. AHS has made several improvements at the site, including increasing patrols by protective services staff to discourage loitering in the area and to help ensure the safety of staff, members of the public, and clients. In addition, shopping cart parking spaces have been designated outside the entrance to the site, to help ensure sidewalks are passable and orderly. AHS has also hired peer support workers to assist both clients and individuals outside of the Sheldon Schumer Health Center. Uh, Calgary police have advised that so far this year, there has been a decrease in reported incidents of social disorder within the vicinity of the Schumer Health Center. Uh, the city of Calgary has advised that the number of 311 calls related to disturbance and behavior issues within 500 meters of the Ch- uh, Sheldon Schumer Health Center has declined over previous years. We know that supervised consumption sites save lives and are a much-needed resource in fighting the global opioid epidemic. Between November 1st, 2017 and September 30th, 2018, SafeWorks staff have responded to 589 overdoses. The Sheldon Jumier Center also provides the opportunity to connect clients of the supervised consumption site to additional health services and programs. Between October 30th, 2017 and September 30th, 2018, 262 supervised consumption services clients were referred to other programs for additional support. Uh, They say it was chosen as the site for supervised consumption given the high number of overdoses that had occurred within a one-kilometer radius of the site and the prevalence of drug use in the inner city. So, 
in shorts. They say that that was selected as a site for the supervised consumption site because of the number of overdoses in the area. Uh, But they do acknowledge that there have been issues created by all of this, and they say that they are working to address them. And that's good. And I I think that's uh, Tristan Hopper's concern in Edmonton, that there doesn't really seem to be any kind of a strategy for dealing with these problems. So Alberta Health Services is, is conceding that there have been problems. So they do have uh, needle disposal bins in the neighborhood, but it really doesn't preclude somebody from just tossing it aside wherever they happen to be. And as you heard previously from the caller marina, that that's, that's been happening, and they're dealing with that in the neighborhood. So, yeah, absolutely, you need to get more disposal sites out there. But there's no guarantee that somebody's going to use them. Look, again... Needle exchange can help save lives. You don't want addicts using dirty needles, but then you don't want addicts disposing dirty needles either. All right, let's get back to the phones here. 974-8255. We'll welcome Dan to the program. Dan, go ahead. Hey, how's it going? Real good. Um, one of the things that uh, that I haven't heard yet, the, some of the dealers in a lot of the uh, injection sites, the, the style of needle that they're using looks a lot like a pen. Um, it looks like those little bit larger pens would, that would have the multicolors in them, like a little bit fatter or whatever. But you can't tell it's not a pen until you're right standing on top of it. Um, and my, like my brother, for example, has got three young kids all under the age of nine. And I've had, you know, I've talked to him about that because I spend, with my work, I spend a lot of time downtown. Um, and it's, it's so obvious the way that they, I mean, the, the back alley behind one of the businesses that I do work for will have 30 people lined up, you know, for three blocks, 20 meters apart. Then all of a sudden the little watchers show up and then all of a sudden the guy comes along on a bicycle and stops and says hi to every single one of them. Um, to me, the big drop, like, first of all, tell your kids don't pick up any pens. But to me, the big drop on the ball is the cops. How how a guy like me can see what's going on and they can't is just outstanding. Like the, the fact that they can't figure out or even, I mean, even just through observation, like from being there an hour here, an hour there, you can clearly see it. Um, the, the exact way they do their business. Uh, and there's, there's prominent businesses down on the strip where you walk in to that business and you, you can say two down and one up and spend 60 bucks and you got your drugs for the two days, you know, and it's, that's the way it is. And some of these businesses have been there for 20 years, but the cops can't figure it out. So again, uh, AHS suggesting that what police are reporting, what the city of Calgary is reporting is that calls, 311 calls or 911 calls around the Sheldon Jumier Center are down but they're obviously not at zero. So, th- so there are issues specific to this area. And yeah, it's fair to ask. I mean, is, is having that consumption site there, does it kind of concentrate the problem in a certain area? Uh, this is Jim. Jim, welcome to the program. Yeah. Uh, Rob, I'm a 72-year-old graduate from the 1970s drug scene. And uh, back then, we had a choice to make. You know, we could either continue just to do the more or less soft drugs, the acids and the psilocybins, et cetera, et cetera, or we could up the ante and uh, get a needle in and, and, and become a junkie. I made the choice then not to up the ante. 
And my point is that it is a matter of choice. And nowadays, everybody seems to think that these people that are addicted to fentanyl and other opioids just all of a sudden woke up one day and they were addicted. Well, it was a matter of choice. Now, the government wants to, to get involved in the drug culture and save us from ourselves. And every time they do, they screw it up. Like, look at what's happened with marijuana. They legalized marijuana, trying to take it away from the illegal uh, supply. And instead, they've increased business for the illegal supply. And now here they have a safe injection site to try to get people to quit doing opioids. And instead, they end up just seeing to make it more and more and more easy for them to continue their addiction and at the expense of the general public. And my feeling is is that they got to give their head a shake, and you just can't continue to try and take care of these people. I think the only place you can throw them is to throw them in jail. It's against the law, throw them in jail, and let them kick their habit then. And that's my well, feeling. All right, Jim, appreciate the call. That's, we've tried that. That's just, you know, in my opinion, you're going to make the problem worse. I mean, addiction is a health issue. However, they got to it. You know, people who are in the party drug scene ending up on these drugs? Yeah, maybe. Uh, people who suffered injuries uh, were on opioids. That led to addiction issues. There's that. I mean, you look at the downtown east side in Vancouver. That's not the party crowd, right? There's, there's a whole host of other issues going on there. And you're not addressing any of them by throwing people in jail. And you're just exacerbating the problem because the addiction is still there. You don't kick the addiction by sitting in a jail cell. It's got to be treated like a health problem because that's what it is. Harm reduction is there to try to save lives. That's what it is. That's the point of it. You're not going to help anybody if they're dead. That's why it's there. That's why it exists. Uh, Certainly by getting people into those kinds of facilities, you can point them in the direction of rehab facilities. You can make those referrals to rehab facilities. But sure, there's, there's no guarantee that anybody's going to follow through on that. But at least exposes them to that. Whereas being on the streets doesn't. Uh, this is Lloyd. Lloyd, welcome to the program. Hey, Rob. Uh, I've uh, been in Calgary 30 years. I used to work for a social service agency 20 years ago. And uh, I'm currently working downtown now as a contractor, and I've never seen anything like this in the city before. Uh, I'm working right close to Alpha House, and thank God for them folks here, because the job site I'm on, there's needles every morning. And uh, uh, they, I, I wasn't sure what to do with them. We, we will check our work area before we don't want to get stuck. And uh, uh, I waved one of them down here today, and... Uh, they, they came over and collected the needles for us. I have a dumpster on site and everything. I don't want to just throw it in there, you know, pass right. the problem on to the next guy, right? But the, like you said, 20 years ago, I worked for a social service agency, and uh, the changes that have been made since then aren't working, Rob. Uh, the desperation and the sadness down here is just horrible. Uh, I've seen girls chasing the dealers, begging, crying for more. It's uh, it's terrible, man. What whatever they're doing ain't working right now, bud. All right, Lloyd. Appreciate the phone call. Yeah, certainly what we're seeing in the last few years. I mean, it, it really is a crisis, and it's not specific to Calgary. It's not specific to Alberta. It's not specific to Canada. So when you say what they're doing, well, 
we're dealing with all kinds of jurisdictions that have all kinds of different approaches. Uh, there's no harm reduction in, in most American cities. And yet the problem is is severe in a lot of American jurisdictions. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's something we're all struggling to to come to grips with. And how do we deal with the problem? And there's a lot of reasons why we're facing this problem now. And some of it maybe we should have seen coming. Right? The overuse of prescription opioids has been a big, big contributor uh, to all of this. Uh, this is Jeff. Jeff, welcome to the program. Hey, how's it going? Real good, Jeff. Good. Um, yeah, I just wanted to make a point. You kind of just touched on it right there. But um, prescriptions, I mean, that's the thing is, like you said, a lot of people get into it through the party scene or they're curious or their friend has some or they stole it from their mom's cabinet or whatever. But um, I'm one of those people that had a pretty bad injury. I had it for years. I was dealing with it through uh, physiotherapy and all that stuff. But every time I'd go and see the doctor, um, I had a doctor in my hometown. Everybody called her Dr. Hollywood because she was literally just a drug dealer with a lab coat. You know, everybody had the same drug for whether you stepped on a nail or you dislocated your shoulder or you broke your back. Like everybody had these ridiculously strong drugs. And it got to the point where I personally had to say, like, is there other options? Like, can I start doing different types of therapy? Are there other things I can do? Because I could tell I was having problems with the painkillers. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, her her point of view was like, oh, well, when your body's ready, when it doesn't need it, then you'll, you'll know. It'll want to quit. But that's not true. People get so right. hooked on these things, and they think, well, my doctor gave it to me, so it must be okay. And that's a huge problem. That's a giant part of the issue. Yeah. No kidding, Jeff. Thanks for the phone call. Appreciate that. Uh, this is Thomas. Thomas, go ahead. Hi, Rob. Hey, uh, I just want to say, uh, first time, uh, just went to the doctor's office. Um, I'm a fentanyl user only for a few months, and uh, I had no idea how addictive it is until I ran out. Yeah. And I actually broke down, and I cried in front of the doctor. I thought I was tougher than this, and I'm not. It tears you apart from the inside out. Well, it is, right? And it's not about being tough, right? I mean, it's it's like other diseases, right? It's not, well, I wasn't tough enough to to not have diabetes or, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. But I mean, I think people think that way. That's right. And I know a few friends. I ran out of my Tylenol 4s when I broke my back. And uh, so my neighbor just happened to have some fentanyl. Here, try this. Well, boy, did I ever try it. And I liked it. My body liked it even more, and uh, I thought I could kick it, and I can't. The uh, withdrawals is, uh, I can't even explain the withdrawals, how hard it is. Um, it, it's not just mental, as a lot of people say. It's not mind over matter. It's actually a physical dependence. And I pray uh, for all the callers who are listening, um, uh, listen to my words. Don't take it for granted like I did. Please. Yeah. Well said. Thomas, all the best to you. Thanks so much for calling in. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.